Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Matthew chapter number 4, Joseph Mallet Turner, who was an English painter, uh, he invited Charles Kingsley to a studio to see this amazing picture that he had painted of a storm that was happening on the ocean. And Kingsley exclaimed these words, that picture is wonderful, it's so realistic, how did you do it? The artist wrote these words, I went to the coast of Holland and engaged or employed a fisherman to take me out to sea during the next storm. Entering his boat as a storm was brewing, I asked him to bind me to the mast. Then he steered his boat into the teeth of the storm. The storm raged with such fury that at times I longed to be in the bottom of the boat where the, bla- where the waves would blow over me. I could not, however, I was bound to the mass. Not only did I see the storm in its raging fury, I felt it. It blew into me, as it were, until I became a part of the storm. After this terrible ordeal, I returned to my studio and painted this picture. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and verse 15, speaking of Jesus Christ, these words, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. This morning, I would like to preach a message entitled, Bound to the Mast. And having said that, may I just say, Jesus, he lashed himself to the mast of our humanity. And he faced the fiercest storms of temptation that Satan could hurl at him. And the Bible says, yet without sin. There is not a person standing or seated among us this morning that has never been tempted. But what is unique is this, is that If we were to go person by person, section by section, here's what we would find. Everyone's temptation is different. Allow me to illustrate. You could tempt me with alcohol, and you could bring alcohol before me, and I would not be tempted. There would be absolutely no way anyone could get me to drink alcohol. I come from an alcoholic family. I come from a family that was destroyed by the ravages of alcohol. And for me personally, I cannot even entertain the thought of drinking because of my heritage. All it may take is one drink, and I'd become an alcoholic. So it's of no temptation. But for some of you, if you were to even smell alcohol, you were to even see a bottle of beer within your uh, proximity, it might be such that you would be tempted. And I know within our own congregation, there are some that have waged many, many years, and the, the battle has raged in your life trying to overcome the temptation of alcohol. Oh, I could go through pornography. I could go through smoking. I could go through uh, power and pride. I could go through finances. I could give lots of illustration. Here's the thing. Every person will be tempted, but the temptation will be different for each one of us. And what I want to show us from Scripture today, found in Matthew chapter number 4, is that Jesus was tempted in every single way you would be tempted, and he did not sin. And that should give us some hope that I don't 
have to give in to the temptation that is cast in, in my pathway. Let's stand together and in responsive format, we will read our scripture together, the first 11 verses. Of course, I will read the odd verses. You will read the even verses. And then we'll remain standing for prayer. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. Then the devil taketh them up into the holy city and setteth them on a pinnacle of the temple. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him, Father, in the time that we have, may I have the ability to succinctly and with a strong voice, and not a distracting voice, to be able to proclaim your word. And may your Holy Spirit encourage every single person here today in this area of temptation. Father, thank you that you bound yourself through your Son to the mast of humanity, and you would not give in to the temptations that Satan cast your way. We thank you for this example in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. In most every case of Scripture, we see temptation coming in one of three different areas. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, it really outlines for all of us what temptation is all about. The Bible says, for all. That is in the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Allow me to illustrate 1 John 2 and verse 16 by using another scriptural uh, a, a story that was given to us. And it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. In fact, we know that Adam and Eve were created by God. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, and he did eat. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6, when Satan came to Eve, tempted Eve in the garden, she saw three things. She saw that the fruit was a forbidden fruit, but that it was good for food. And that corresponds with the lust of the flesh. We, we also see in this verse, through Satan's temptation, that it was pleasant to the eyes. Of course, in 1 John 2 and verse 16, it talks about the temptation of the lust of the eyes. Finally, Satan tempted her and was convinced through his lies that the fruit was desired to make one wise. Of course, in 1 John 2 and verse 16, that refers to the pride of life. And in a moment, we're going to see that Satan came to Jesus and he tempted him with these exact same temptations. But I want to remind you of this. 
Jesus was fully human, and he could be tempted, but never forget he was fully God and would not give in to those temptations. Before moving on to the actual temptations, let me give you a a little backdrop uh, by way of introduction, a little sketch, if you will, of the history uh, so that we in context can understand temptation. By way of introduction, let me note the chronological context there in verse number one. We see the, the Bible says in verse number one, gives us the word then. That little word then ties us with the baptism of Jesus. And though Jesus had no sin, he still requested baptism from John to fulfill all righteousness. When Jesus went up, the Spirit of God, like a dove, anointed him with power for his ministry. And then the voice of the Father authenticated the fact that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. He said this, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So we see in context, there's some chronological context. But I want you to notice the locational context in verse number one as well. The Bible says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now folks, we can literally understand the wilderness. All you have to do is drive just a little bit east of us or a little bit west of us, a little bit south of us, and you can get off of a road and you can walk into the wilderness right here in this area. The baptism of Jesus was a, a commissioning, if you will. It was the coronation that Jesus was king. You would think of a freshly coronated king that would be uh, led to his throne, to sit on his throne. Not some desolate, barren wilderness. But this is what the Bible says here that took place in Matthew chapter number 4. One of the undeniable facts about being a Christian is that we are not always led down the paths of grandeur. Folks, before we get to the mountaintops, we must go through the valley of trials. How many of you have ever been through a trial? You went through that valley of trial before you could next experience the mountaintop that was planned for you. Now, we know the story. Satan, he met with Adam in the beautiful garden. And here, notice the contrast. Satan met with Jesus in the wilderness. Adam, uh, he lost the battle, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus, he won the battle, even though it was contrasting uh, areas of temptation. By way of introduction, let me quickly note the spiritual context. We also see this in verse number one of our text. He was led up of the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. It is interesting that the Spirit chose the word devil here. That is one of Satan's many names. Uh, this name in particular uh, comes from the Greek word dia diabolos, uh, meaning accuser or slanderer. Some who claim to be Christians do not believe in the evil one. May I say it's very foolish not to believe the devil's real. Satan is most deceptive. Satan is very victorious when people do not believe in him. My friend, the devil's real. His legions of demons at his bidding are real. Jesus, he prepared for this spiritual showdown. And the Bible says there in verse number one, something that probably many of us have never done, myself included, and that is that Jesus, he fasted, the Bible says, for 40 days and 40 nights. Fasting is the biblical method of concentrating our prayers and, and staying in a spiritual state of mind. Uh, we do not know what else he did during that time, but I assure you that Jesus spent a lot of time communing 
with his heavenly Father. Fourthly, in this context of Matthew chapter 4, allow me to show you the physical context. The physical context. The Bible says, you read it in verse number 2. After these 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says, he was hungry. That's a biblical understatement. I think to go without food for long periods of time, it will make one physically weak. And no matter how weak Jesus was physically, that intense time of prayer made him spiritually vigorous. You have heard, and hopefully you have memorized by now, Ephesians 6 and verse number 10. It says this, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Jesus said in Mark chapter 14 and verse 38, Watch ye and pray. Test, uh, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Every one of us, we have weak moments. And we give in to a temptation. And in giving in to that temptation, it's because we are physically weak. And I'd like to submit to you this morning that if we are spiritually strong, we can overcome those physically weak tests. The problem is, is that when we're spiritually depleted, we're physically depleted, we will give in to the temptation. So uh, this morning, let's get into the meat of the message. And I'd like to uh, uh, examine the, the remainder of these 11 verses that we read together. And it's very simple outline. Stage number one of a temptation, we're going to look at the lust of the flesh. We see that in verse number three in verse number four of our text. We see in verse number 3, the coming of the tempter. Tempter is another of Satan's many titles. We have devil. We have tempter. We do not know what form he took when he spoke to Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So we therefore know that Satan can put on different views for us. Satan knew who Jesus was. He had already tried to kill him at least once, perhaps many times. Now that Jesus had entered into his public life, he had been coronated the king. He had had his ceremony at, uh, with John the Baptist of his new ministry. The showdown would begin with a personal confrontation. And so what happens, and by the way, the devil always does this, and that is the question of the tempter there in verse number 3. He says, if... Thou be the Son of God. Of course he was the Son of God. He was saying, in fact, though, prove it. If you're the Son of God, I want you to prove that you're the Son of God. Why would Satan, the tempter, the evil one, the devil, want Jesus in his human weakness to prove he was the Son of God? I believe that would be a good question for all of us to understand this morning. Satan was trying to persuade Jesus to act independently of his Father. Oh, listen to me, dear friend. The devil today wants you to act independently of your salvation. The devil wants you to act independently of your strong, rooted faith in the Word of God. The devil wants you to act independently of your relationship with your Heavenly Father. That would have been disobedience. That would have been sin. And it would have disqualified Jesus if he would have had to do this, proving it, if thou be the Son of God, with the devil. Listen, Satan, he whispers in your ear. He sits on your shoulder. And he knows if you are saved, but he may say, if you're really saved, why do you act like that? Casting doubt. Are you sure you're a real Christian? Prove it. 
Because what the devil is saying, my friend, at the time that you confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you entered into that family. Don't allow the devil to place doubt in your life. In verse number 3, we see the command of the temper. How bold of the devil. Remember, the Bible says Jesus was very hungry. Satan's underlying implication was this. If God loves you so much, why is he letting you starve out here in the desert? And so Satan comes to Jesus in his weakened human state. And he says to us, if God loves you so much, why are you sick? If God loves you so much, why are you depressed? If God loves you so much, why are you broke? If God loves you so much, why are you lonely? If God loves you so much, why are you tired? And though Jesus could have easily turned the stones into bread, I believe that there's three reasons why Jesus did not turn the stones into bread. First of all, Jesus did not come to earth to turn stones into bread. That's not what his mission was. You know what? He came to die in our stead. He came uh, to be our sacrifice as a sinner. He came so that he could turn sinners into saints. Secondly, Jesus was not in the habit of taking orders from Satan. May I say, that ought to be your testimony and my testimony. That we're not in the habit of taking orders from the devil. Thirdly, Jesus is our example. He knew that we could not turn stones into bread. And he had to show us that that we can have the power to defeat Satan uh, at his own game. Notice in verse number 4, the response of the king. Jesus answered Satan with scripture. And he said these words, it is written. He could have destroyed the devil right there. He could have shown him his awesome glory. He could have discussed the issue intellectually. Instead, I love what Jesus gave us as an example. He quoted scripture. What he actually was quoting was Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 3, which teaches us to obey God, to trust in him for our provisions, not to grasp for gratification. My friend, when Jesus comes to you and you're tempted... And he says something like this, you're not saved. Do you know how you defeat that? You ought to have some verses memorized. It is written, Satan, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Get behind me, Satan. If Satan comes to you and he says, you're not really forgiven. You know that sin that you did? You know that item you stole? You know that bad word that slipped out of your mouth? You know that cheating that you did? Do you know that pornography you looked at? You're not really forgiven when you ask for it. You know what you say to Satan? It is written. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. When Satan comes to you and you're lonely You're depressed. Maybe everything's not going perfect for you at church, at home, at work. And Satan says, you're not really secure. You say to him, it is written, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Get behind me, Satan. I'm going to heaven whether you like it or not. But you know what Satan really does? And he gets a lot of us at this. He says this. He whispers to you, you're not very important. You're not important. You don't, you don't matter. Who are you? 
And that's when you've memorized scripture and you quote scripture just like Jesus did. And you'll say, it is written. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. My friend, you are powerful with Jesus' name. Well, let me quickly look at the second temptation we see here. Stage two of temptation is the temptation of the eyes. Notice in verse number five, we see the location of the temptation. We cannot say with exact, precise certainty where the pinnacle of the temple was. It was probably the roof that extended over Herod's uh, uh, portico. The first century historian Josephus, he said that the drop from this point was 450 feet. That's one and a half football fields. We see the question and the command of the tempter there. Satan says, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. Imagine, folks, uh, the people would have flocked to Jesus if he would have survived such a feat. Jesus knew that those who would follow him because of such a sign, they would only demand more signs and wonders. And he said in Matthew 12, he said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. My friend, it's much greater that by faith I believe in Jesus. In John 12, it says, But though he had done many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. In verse number 6, we see the scripture that used by the tempter. Now, who is the tempter? Help me out here. Who is the tempter? Satan, the evil one. The slanderer, did you know that the devil knows more scripture than you do? There's not a single person seated or standing in this auditorium this morning that knows more scripture than the devil himself. He actually quoted Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. May I tell you, Satan knows the Bible too. And when what Satan implied was this, since you won't use your power without the Father's permission, prove you trust in Him by jumping off of this pinnacle. But I'm so thankful for the rebuttal that we see in verse number 7. Jesus, He shot back. He was in a war of words with the devil, and he quoted Deuteronomy 6. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God. That word tempt could just as easily be translated test. You only test what you do not trust. There's a third stage in this process of temptation that trips a lot of us. And it's called the pride of life. We see it clearly laid out here, verses 8 through 11. We see the location of the temptation. It was on an exceeding high mountain. We have no idea what mountain this was. In Scripture, mountains are synonymous with seats of power. Perhaps this was not even a physical mountain. But in verse number 8, we, see, we can actually see the vision of this temptation. This is the third temptation that the devil, the evil one, the slanderer, throws in the path of Jesus who was physically weak. Somehow, Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Perhaps from this high place, they saw the glories of Egypt with its pyramids and all of its temples. They may have seen the power of the Roman Empire and the culture of Greece and the majesty of Jerusalem. However it happened, we know this, that the devil was able to show Jesus all of the powers of the world. 
And Satan knew Jesus would one day rule all of these kingdoms as the king of kings. And he was saying to Jesus, why wait? You deserve it right now. Psalm 2 says this. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Satan always uses these tactics. Now listen to me, my friend. Satan tells us we need to acquire wealth. We need to acquire fame. And we need to acquire power. To take the world by the horns and be somebody despite the cost. And when we set our aim on the world's priorities, we are doing exactly what the devil wants. And when you're distracted from serving Jesus to put your eyes on the world's wealth and fame and power, you become a tool in the devil's hand. Jesus said this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do you know there's always a price for temptation? Notice verse number 9. There's always a price for temptation. Satan said, all of these things will I give thee if that will fall down and worship me. May I ask you, how can the devil give you all those things? How can the devil give you anything that's good? May I just tell you that the Satan, Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, but don't miss this. Jesus already owned all of those things. Jesus already has your best interests. There is absolutely nothing that the devil can give you that is greater than what the devil can give to you. Right, I think I said that wrong. Let me repeat that. There's absolutely nothing the devil can give to you that is greater than what Jesus has already given to you. Satan, he was cast out of heaven because he tried to take God's throne. Do you know Jesus was there when that happened? He even said in Luke chapter 10, I beheld Satan as lightning fell from heaven. Jesus was not about to give up his throne now. In verse number 10, we see the holy response to this temptation. Jesus said these words. We can learn from that. Get thee hence, Satan. That means get behind me, Satan. I don't want to see you anymore. In other words, you have blasphemed my heavenly Father, and I'm not going to allow you to blaspheme anymore. Get out of my sight. James 4 and verse 7 says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist, turn away from the devil. Flee from the devil. And the Bible says that when you do that, he's going to flee. He's going to run away from you. Sometimes we are so easy to succumb to the temptation of the devil. It's because we're physically weak and spiritually weak. When we submit to God, when we resist the devil by using Scripture because of the authority that's bound in us by Jesus Christ, the Bible says the devil will run away. If we serve anything or anyone else, we are in essence serving, the, serving Satan, serving the devil, serving the evil one. Well, that brings us to verse number 11, and we see uh, what happens after there's a time of temptation. Oftentimes, there's a sweet ministry that takes place after a temptation. Jesus, he passed the test. He passed the test of the lust of the flesh. He passed the test, the lust of the eyes. He passed the test, the pride of life. And the Bible says the devil left him. And the ministers, the angels came and ministered unto him. Oh, I imagine they brought food, but more importantly, they brought him assurance and love from his heavenly father. So let me give you, in just a couple of minutes, four lessons to take from this message. Oh, we are all tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of every one of us. 
But let me give you four lessons, four takeaways, four things that we can start today in our life. Here's lesson number one. I need to understand I have a deceptive enemy in Satan. The first way to overcome a temptation is I must recognize there is a deception in my life called an enemy whose name is Satan. He wants to devour. He wants to destroy me. He's the ultimate deceiver. He wants to take things away rather than to give you the things that God wants to give you. And number two, I want you to sit back and relax in this thought. Not feel guilty for just a moment. Number two, lesson, it is normal to experience temptation. It is normal that I experience temptation. By the way, thank God that you have temptation. That means that you're saved. The devil's trying to destroy you. He's trying to defeat you. He wants you to fall. He wants you to stumble. And so that's normal. What are you going to do about it? That's different. But it's normal to be tempted. Everyone is tempted. In fact, the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with that temptation, uh, make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Expect temptation. React properly. Rejoice in God's victory afterwards. Here's a third lesson. I have a mighty weapon in Scripture. I have a mighty weapon in Scripture. May I remind you of one of the great verses found in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You can defeat Satan with Scripture. But if you don't know how to use it, he's going to win. And that's a problem. A lot of times we come to church and we expect to receive all of our nutrients for a whole week from this 40-minute message that we get on Sunday morning, the 30-minute lesson in growth groups. And we say, that's enough to get me through the week. Every single day we should read Scripture. It is spiritual food that allows us to overcome temptation. May I ask you this question? How many of you are sick and tired of giving in to temptation? All of us should have our hand up because we all succumb to it because we all sin. And I, I, I debated. I, I actually started writing down a list of sins, but it got too exhaustive because and then if I didn't list your particular sin, you'd say, whew, he missed me. <laughs> the fact is, is that we all sin. Every one of us. So, so, we all sin. We are all in that same boat. But, there, but the reality is, is that a lot of us succumb to that temptation rather than quoting Scripture. You can defeat Satan every time by quoting Scripture because the Bible says Satan can't stand it when you quote Scripture. Psalm 119, still in the Bible, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Number four, I have a great sympathizer in my Savior. I have a great sympathizer in my Savior. Do you know that Jesus says to you, I've been there. I've done that. Man, I, I'm sitting at my computer and I'm so tempted to type in a few words just to see 
Oh, it's tempting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you want to give in to that temptation to type in something that you're going to look at on the computer that you know is not right. And you remember, there hath no temptation taken you but such as common to man. That your God is faithful. And he can help you overcome that temptation and help you to escape that temptation. My friend may just tell you that the God of heaven wants you to be successful. And Jesus Christ says, listen, I was tempted. I went 40 days without food and water. I was weak. I could have given in to the temptation, but I didn't. I had a temptation of food. I had a temptation of power. I had a temptation of look at all of these things, the lust of the eyes that could be mine. And I did not give in. But what Jesus did do is he quoted scripture. Now listen, you know what's encouraging? Is that we serve a God who's, who doesn't say, well, I really don't know what you're going through. I hope you make it out. We actually serve a God that says, I know what you're going through. You can make it. In the beginning of this message, I quoted Hebrews 4. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. But then it says this, yet without sin. Jesus has been through that storm of temptation. He was bound to the mast of humanity and experienced every temptation that was thrown at him. And he understands us. And he understands what you're going through. Thank you for your great attention. You can close your Bibles and notes and listen to my final illustration and we'll be, close, uh, we'll be finished and we'll close the service here in just a moment. G.H. Charnley, in the Skylark's Bargain, wrote the story of a young Skylark, a young bird who discovered one day a man would give him worms for a feather. The young Skylark made a deal. One feather for two worms. The next day, the lark was flying high in the skies with his father. And he and his father were talking. And his father said, you know, son, we skylarks are the happiest of all birds in the sky. Look at our brave wings. They lift us high in the air, nearer and nearer up to God. But the young bird did not hear what his father was saying. For all he saw as a bench down there was the older man with worms. And down he flies and he got his two worms and his feather was plucked from his wings. And day after day that went on, autumn came. It was time to fly south. However, the young skylark was not able to ascend up in the sky. The fact of the matter is he had exchanged all of his power for worms. Would you listen to that and understand that there's always a constant temptation to exchange our wings for worms. To exchange what God wants in your life and the glories that he wants in your life for worms. Where are you in that process? God has lifted you up out of the miry clay. God has given you the wings of an eagle, as the Bible says. But you're still drawn to the worms of this world. The temptations of this world. Friend, I submit to you this morning 
based on Matthew chapter number 4, verses 1 through 11, that we all can overcome temptation if we'll take heed to this message. Jesus did it, and we can do it. What temptation are you battling with this morning? An anger, a bitterness towards someone, a loneliness that just can't be found in the bottle, a prescription drug that initially was used for a good purpose, but now you're hopelessly addicted. For a lady in our church that's almost one year now, free of the bottle, and every day fights that temptation. For some, it's a temptation just to be lazy. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to serve. I don't want to minister. For some, it's at work. You're a different person at work than you are here at church. Oh, I could go through a long list But the fact of the matter is, is that you and I are tempted. I'm sick of giving in to the devil. He's the accuser, the slanderer, the wicked one, the evil one, and I hate him. And there's two along with me that hate him too. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, the devil makes it look really good. And in the process, he devours, defeats, discourages, and destroys us. Destroys us, our families, even destroys churches. Let's kick the devil to the curb. Let's get into the Word. Even if you read one verse a day, at least you're in the Word. 